and welcome to the Mindset Growth Academy podcast. I'm your host, Emma Gibbs-Ung. Each show, I'm going to be using a combination of interviews with incredibly inspiring people from around the world who have achieved greatness, overcome adversity, and never given up, as well as solo episodes from me sharing my own journey as a leading mindset coach, helping to inspire, support, and guide you to create a growth mindset so you can achieve success in all areas of your life. Are you ready to bring mindset to life and create success from the inside out? Let's go. Hello and welcome back to the Mindset Growth Academy podcast. Today I'm joined by the lovely Polly Jukes. Polly is a qualified mind and body coach who works with people who are ready to create change. Polly is a truly inspiring lady who has faced some incredibly personal challenges and after years of darkness has finally come out the other side. Today, Polly is talking about the abuse she suffered at the hands of her parents, the impact this has had on her own mental health and how she refuses to be defined by her upbringing. So much so that she has made it her mission to help and inspire others to find their best version of themselves and reach true happiness in all areas of their lives. Wow. Welcome, Polly. It's lovely to have you. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you so much for inviting me. What a wonderful opportunity. Thank you. Your life has taken so many turns and you have been through some truly heartbreaking experiences. And yet, as I'm sitting here talking to you and when we were talking just before we went live today, you always have the most amazing smile on your face, which I just find truly, truly incredible. You know, as much as this interview is about breaking the silence on on abuse and reducing stigmas, which is something that's very close to my heart, it's more about life beyond that. So you can, so you personally can inspire and encourage others to to not give up on themselves and on life, and to know that it doesn't always have to be that way forever. So I really do appreciate you coming in, along today and sharing your story, because I know it's not the easiest story to to share, but it is one that is truly inspiring um at the end and obviously takes us on will be taking us on a journey of um lots of twists and turns and heartbreak but more importantly how you've dealt with that and how you've come out the other side so from the bottom of my heart thank you very much for for coming along i wanted to start today to just um if you didn't mind just talking about your upbringing just share with us um, an insight into what that looked like, but more importantly, the impact that that had on you, both personally, emotionally, and physically. Thank you. What an amazing introduction. So, <laughs> thank you very much. Um, yeah, I didn't have a very conventional childhood. Both of my parents were alcoholics. They had a very toxic relationship with lots of violence. Um, I have suffered all forms of abuse mostly from my alcoholic parents um, and because they had like a toxic relationship they obviously associated with like so the people amongst our kind of community environment were also um, drink drug users um, etc so you know we were very vul- I was very vulnerable as a child and it was very yeah I'd never really felt safe I certainly didn't feel loved um, and, it, you know, it kind of led to me later on in life feeling I, w- I was not worthy of love um, and 
that it was all my fault what they did to me and the way they made me feel was my fault I brought it upon myself in some way yeah um they we kind of experienced this relationship with them for a while and they ultimately split up um and it was a really messy divorce as well um, and then a little time after my mum committed suicide I was about eight and it was kind of just swept under the carpet which was really really hard um, we were just expected to kind of just get on with life we had nobody I had nobody to speak to um, the only time it was really referenced was um, at school when the other children were making Mother's Day cards I was kind of ushered to a side room um, so and I believed that she didn't love me and that it was my fault that she decided to end her life um, and that really resonated and stayed with me for a, a very long time in my life um, my father also passed away three days after my first son was born um, which kind of brought everything up again um, but I was then placed into foster care and which for me was a really positive experience as um, I really understood what being nurtured was about mm. and how to be part of a, a, a normal family, albeit in a foster home. Um, it was enriched, we were educated, we were valued. We really felt like we were part of a family. And for me, I was like, my gosh, you know, I've never had this before. And absolutely thrived, absolutely thrived through it. Still kind of dealing with my own internal struggles. Um, and yeah, um, I have tried to end my life on numerous occasions when that, you know, I sort of call it the inner bitch, yeah, the inner dialogue, um, that very negative sort of self-talk and the feelings that I'm, I was never good enough. I was never worthy. Nobody was ever going to love me. And then when that evidence kind of came in my life then you know I would do what I was known what was known to me um was try and end my life to be with my mum because although there was awful things that had happened in our childhood she was my only mum yeah and I also felt that I really wanted to to be with her yeah yeah I mean you you touched on sort of the fact that both your parents were alcoholics and yeah they themselves were in a toxic relationship which as a child in itself is incredibly hard to manage because I suppose you never really know what side of that person you're going to receive when you get home what mood they're in um, all of that sort of stuff but there was more to that relationship that you had with them that obviously affected you on a personal level um, was that both before and after the divorce or was it more during the, the the time that they were together because i hope you don't mind me bringing it up but obviously as as we mentioned in the um introduction there was toxic abuse between those two as a partnership but that abuse then started to filter down onto you um as their child um through one way or in another how how did you cope with that like you just touched very briefly 
on that. Um, and I hope you don't mind if we can just go into a little bit more detail about it. Before you were then obviously taken off to foster care, what led to that, if that's all right? Yeah, I'm really happy to share because I'm passionate about speaking out about um, my past to help and inspire other people that your, your past doesn't have to define you. And there are other ways to deal and cope with, with the trauma and yeah, all the unhealthiness. There, there are ways, there are other ways. So I'm really happy to, um, to explain more about that. At the time, I didn't know any different. So this was my normal for me. So one or another would be beating us or putting us down or however their day had gone, I would be the scapegoat for it. So I, I kind of learned to try and lay really, really low and not cause any fuss and just be as quiet and small as I could because there'd be um, consequences for when I didn't. Um, I learned to kind of blend in really become almost kind of in the shadows yeah yeah don't, yeah just that sort of seemed to be like a coping mechanism when they were sort of physically beating each other I would literally beg them to stop you know there was an occasion where my mum put her fist through a glass front door um, and there was blood and glass everywhere and screaming and shouting of blood was just running down her um, you know and as a child you're like what do I do what do I do you know and, and having to think and try and get rags and tea towels and try and um, be the adult in the situation really because they were not so and I've missed out a massive chunk of my childhood from having to try and fix things having to learn coping mechanisms having to be really small and um, you know and when awful things were happening you know I begged for the pain to stop I'd almost take myself out, you know, it was like my body was there, but my mind wasn't, you know, just sort of learned at a young age to suppress the emotions um, so they couldn't hurt you anymore. So yeah. almost taking part, you know, taking control over that and you learn pretty quick, pretty, you know, pretty sort of wisely from what I remember. I think my brain has done a brilliant job of actually kind of freezing out, um, really the, the real painful stuff you know it's just you know blanks there's almost like blanks of childhood mm. um so i think your body does kind of go into a coping mechanism and almost that trauma actually we're gonna, gonna yeah. cover over that yeah so it's sort of piecing it together um and i just became a really good actress you know we had marks on our body and awful things that happened of an evening but the next day in school I was never to say anything, never to say anything. Otherwise I'd be in big, big trouble. Um, there was one occasion where she marked me across my face um, and I went into school and of course everybody was asking what happened, what happened? And she said, you say you fell into a door. And if you don't, you know, there was big consequences. So I just said, I fell into a door. I fell into a door, you know, all day I fell into a door. Um, and obviously they they must have known something was going on behind the scenes but nothing was really done and I do feel a little bit let down um that we were at the hands of all the abuse and neglect this the exposed to the things that we I was exposed to and nothing really seemed to have happened um 
then so but obviously they were keeping a record because then one day my, my dad and myself got into an altercation um, and he actually got a big wooden stake and sort of put it into the side of my face I've got a small scar there um, and I managed to get out and run into the street and obviously I was in a lot of pain so and it was just screaming and screaming and with blood and you know obviously kind of feeling like numb I guess and just scared just generally generally scared but I think at that point the worm was turning it was kind of like there was a part of me was like actually I, you know I don't want to put up with this anymore um I it, this isn't right I, you know, so for me to go out and ask for help because that's something I could never do before nobody could know what's going on behind closed doors um so to go into the alleyway and scream and shout and just know that somebody anybody please help me I was admitted into hospital and then social services came and said you're not going back we've got a foster care placement for you and my whole world turned upside down mm. um, at that time it was the worst thing in the world that could that ever happened to me my whole identity and you know I was kind of a caregiver within the home as well um, but yeah actually ultimately it turned into one of the best best things that could have happened to me yeah yeah I mean gosh it, it, you know when you're you ex you kind of look up to your parents don't you as a form of protection so when it's the the people that you know and love the most that are then inflicting this pain on you that is so much pressure for for anybody to manage but as a child growing up in that environment you know that that is a lot to take on and as you've just said you know a lot of your role was very much role reversal so you were almost taking care of them to some level and creating that outer body experience as a form of protection for you and certainly from my own personal experience but also professional experience we do block out an awful lot of um of the finer details that we don't necessarily need to know um because they're no real help to us in, a, in any way. But quite often when I, like when I was dealing with mine, I couldn't remember everything. And when I speak to other people, they can't. And so that seems quite a natural thing, but, but to go through that day in, day out, and then to, to be offered, I suppose, a lifeline with this foster care, but to have that confusion of, well, what does that now mean for me? Because all I've ever known is, this uh you know with the abuse both seeing it and receiving it um and being caught up in it suddenly you you know you're you're then entering a different world you know, the, the magnitude of that is is huge how old were you at that time i was probably about 14 which is quite a tricky age isn't it so yeah, yeah, lots lots of things going on there. And I was pretty much feral as well. There was no boundaries in the house, so I'd come day and night. Um we you know, we lived off um my dad didn't really cook. We lived off we used to go to Booker's and the wholesale and buy trays of tuna and hot dogs and you know, that's kind of what what we ate, you know, but uh, boxes of trackers and Twix bars, that's kind of what we ate and we were pretty streetwise savvy kids and um yeah, we'd just go out and there was no bad, so... No bad yeah. times, really. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which, was that your coping mechanism? Because, I mean, obviously in that home environment, and again, you know, 14 years of age, 
does seem young, but also you see a lot of 14 year olds who have a lot of independence and they grow up very quickly. And certainly in the environment that you were living in, you grew up very quickly. What, what were you doing to help yourself cope with that? You have mentioned that escapism of mind and body, but you know, did you turn to anything, anybody in a, in a way to deal with this going on right now? Not really. I, I, I opened up to some friends. I learned how to suppress it myself and to put my persona on mm. um, and to shapeshift almost be who I needed to be at mm. that time. Um, I've, you know, for a long time, I believed that if you spoke about anything um, and if you asked for help, you're weak, you know, and to show your vulnerability would be, you'll be taken advantage of. You were weak. Um, and I'm just truly grateful that some of the, the circles of people I was with, I, you know, some of the situations I got myself into with no kind of adult um, help or guidance, you know, looking back now, it's the things that could have happened to me, the situations that I was in, you know, and the validation, the external validation I need, needed and, and sought from other people because I didn't get that from home you know it's just crazy I'm amazed I've I'm alive really to be honest you know with some real ropey people and some awful situations that I found myself in um, and you, is that because you were searching like you, you know you said you were searching for something for acceptance or to feel loved so how were you with building other relationships with both men and women? Because, you know, often when it comes to, a, from a, when you're dealing with abuse, it can quite often be just from one, one sex. Yours was from both, both your mum and your dad. So both like to your role models effectively, um, who were both male and female. So with regards to relationships with friends, with boyfriends with that with people in general other adults how did that impact you yeah, massively I didn't know who to trust no my guard was up constantly mm. um, I was yeah I was probably very promiscuous and very flirty because okay. I needed that validation um, so I just didn't know who I was I was just so confused um, and with friendships, you know, I can remember falling out with friends so regularly and being really, really hurt. And obviously looking now, it was looking back now, it was because, um, yeah, I needed so much more from them than they were prepared to give. Mm. So, and it's, I needed the love and, um, yeah, just... They, I needed them to fill me up inside of what I hadn't been filled up from my parents. So it's a massive responsibility for friends. And yeah. equally, with I'd form inappropriate relationships with women that maybe reminded me of my mum, you know, and quite often they would be, you know, they would sort of say, oh, you're the daughter I never had. And, you know, um, one lady in particular was quite manipulative. So... Uh, but I was getting the needs, I was getting my needs met from this unhealthy, manipulative relationship. And so again, you know, not really having that sort of um, the father figure role that I necessarily wanted. 
I would seek that in really unhealthy ways as well. So yeah, it, I've something I've definitely had to learn a lot. Um, and with friendships, you know, it wasn't really until I had my children, then I really started to form, you know, relationships and really get this whole kind of concept of friends and understanding this. So and I was, you know, really fortunate to meet my husband when I did. We've been together for nearly 20 years now. Um, yeah. And he just was my, he was my rock. He always believed in me um, and stood by me and supported me and believed in me and really made me feel, although he was offering me the love, I couldn't accept it because deep yeah. down I, I wasn't worthy of love. So, I mean, that's only come within the last yeah sort of five or so years that I've ex you know really fully experienced the love mm. because up until that point I, I thought I was completely unworthy no one's gonna love me I'm damaged goods yeah. look you know I you know look what's happened it's all my fault I'm unworthy and my self-hatred and my self-belief you know I, I absolutely despise myself absolutely despise myself so, yeah. and then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy it's like you know all lots of self-sabotage you know uh, because you don't deserve to be happy um you don't deserve this opportunity so ruin it cut it you know yeah. and with people again you know i used to get quite close to them and then go but i can't trust them i can't and then i'll do something to to break the relationship and to, to sever the tie and it was very sort of black and white in my world sure you know it, everything you're saying <clears throat> I can relate to on on some levels um, for sure and you know when you're when you have been abused and you have someone has taken that trust away it is very hard to to then rebuild it with other people and to not have role models around that you fully trusted that could direct you obviously there was a lot on you in that respect you you mentioned that you moved or that you were placed into foster care and suddenly you encountered your first experience of a loving nurtured relationship how did that make you feel because this was all brand new to you when you were what 14 15 years of age so though it's 15 years without it to suddenly have it what did that feel like to you Yeah, what did it feel like to me? I, I mean, I had my washing and I sort of said, I'll, I'll put my washing machine. And my foster mum said, no, 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 we do that here. Mm. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> really? And there was lots of scenarios like that. And it was, it was alien to me, completely alien. And I guess there maybe was a part of me, well, I'm independent. I've been doing this. But it was the other part he was crying out for. <gasps> please look after me, please nurture me, please, gosh, this is what I've really been wanting all these years. Um, and just, I just thrived. Yeah, just thrived off it. And yeah, so much so I actually shut my dad out of my life then um, until we went to see Saving Private Ryan. Right. Uh, my husband went to go and see it and because my dad had been in the war, he was a lot older than my mum it suddenly all just clicked all the pieces kind of came together and I realized what he had experienced and why maybe he turned to alcohol to shut these horrible experiences away and why he was like he was you know how do you go through a war and come through and be 
completely normal I don't know so it really helped me um, with that forgiveness and acceptance and that really helped me then to to go forward and um, I think with my foster parents support as well I was able to to, to go back and, and nurse him until you know unfortunately he then he then died so um, so I did sever the relationship for a little while I think I just needed to be with my foster parents and to feel safe and secure and start to kind of build me up and to really fully take in all this love mm. talk, talk me through that because I mean you know you, you spoke there that that suddenly you were um, faced with people wanting to do stuff for you and quite often you know we don't know what we don't know and so you've been brought up in a very different environment where that wasn't the case where you were the the mum role or the the adult figure really um you were responsible for feeding yourself um cooking you know looking after yourself surviving and suddenly you're put into this and it is totally foreign there are two ways that, that people often react with that is that obviously you embrace it in which you did which was amazing but but also some people think why didn't I get this before like and, and when you're not feeling worthy of yourself it's a lot to take on to then add into the mix obviously cutting your father off um, and building yourself up and embracing that was that a turning point for you was there anything that you started to do differently to build yourself back up build that trust element envelope that love and that nurturing because that doesn't come easily you know especially for someone who is so was so guarded um and protective of themselves if you can just talk through that because all too often you know people who experience abuse um struggle to let people in um i certainly do even now if, if the minute something goes wrong in my life I shut down. And even if everything in me is saying I want a hug, I, I don't ask for one. If people offer me one, I don't accept it because I'm like, no, I can deal with this. Um, and you get almost so used to doing it on your own that you, you don't know how to bring other people in. But you did. And, and that was a, a massive turning point for you to, to help you to get, build yourself back up. Um, how did you do that? Because I know that there's lots of people that would love to understand that more because it comes with a choice and a decision. So what choice did you make at that time? I just think I was really craving it. Um, and my foster dad was so good at, he was so, he is so skilled. I remember him sitting there and he had a globe and just said, he pointed to where we were in Cornwall and just said, that's you. That's where you are now and span the globe and just said, look, you know, you've got the rest of your life ahead of you and the whole world here, you know, um, and he would in a non kind of invasive way, just subtly keep sort of giving me little pearls of wisdom that I'd kind of mull over and sort of see, so it would seep in um, with them. I managed to let them in. But yeah, like you said, it's, you know, that, yeah, you know, my stonewalling, you know, was just to shut everything down and not talk. And I still had quite a lot of elements of, of flight as well. We had to have family conflabs and meetings 
and I always assumed I've done something wrong. So therefore, and it, therefore they're not going to want me anymore. They're not going to keep me at the foster home. I'm going to have to go somewhere else. So I would run away. I'd run up to the local farm, go and hide somewhere because that was another source tested measure. It's like, I need to get myself out of this situation now because there's, there might be pain, there might be rejection. There might be, you know, they, they may well then, you know, not want me around anymore. Mm. So um, that was quite a sort of tested measure. Um, yeah, I think I'm being, I wasn't, I was taken out of the town. So I was then put into a very rural location. So it was learning to then to embrace being in nature as well. They had dogs and I'd taken my dog with me. So lots of sort of out and dog walks. Um, new beginnings. Yeah. Yeah. Embracing the new change, the, the wipe the slate clean and kind of move on. What, what things did you start to notice first that gave you indication that you were moving away from this old life, that suddenly you were starting to feel more comfortable in this new life and that this is the life that you wanted and further removed from the first 14 years? Yeah, I was, I, a lot of anger came out. I can remember kind of doing a lot of art and I'm not particularly arty, but really, you know, kind of getting these feelings and emotions out and words and displaying, you know, a horrific kind of creation in my room. And that was kind of about my past. Uh, it was quite bleak, but it was a good way of, of channeling that out really. Um, yeah, no, that just popped into my head. Sorry. No, no, that's fine. Mine was writing. I always yeah. it was like third party. Um, but I know a lot of people that, that turn to art and can produce. I mean, I can't write in the way that I wrote in that time. And I look back now and I don't recognize that person. But the writing's really powerful. And I'm like, wow. And the same, you know, with art. Quite often I've heard, you know, a number of people say they turn to art, even though they're not artists. And they create quite often quite dark pictures yeah. um, because it's a form of, of therapy, isn't it, to, to yeah. get it out. When did those pictures start becoming lighter? Or, where, or, or was there a time where you thought, I can't paint anymore? Because I, I suddenly couldn't write anymore. Like, I think I'd, I'd keep the, I would sort of keep the image and it would spur, it would trigger something else. So I'd go and burn a load of photos or like, you know, I would write and then rip it all up and whatever I kind of created, I'd have to almost destroy it as well. So I guess, it, you know, looking back now, it's kind of like venting the emotions and taking control of the ending and letting it go. So there was definitely a lot of, I learned a lot of, you know, the acceptance and the reasons why and then letting it go, creating, you know, sort of creating that space mm. to let in the good as well. And knowing that if I kind of kept hold of all of this, I would equally turn toxic. And, you know, one of my biggest fears was that I would turn into my mum, you know. So I didn't want children for a long time because I was so worried that I would be the mother that she was to me. Yeah, totally. When, when you were doing, just, I just want to hold on this conversation with the, the painting because I think this is really important for, for people who are going through anything that is really, really challenging them is to find an outlet that 
that creates a shift that makes you feel better like so you know you've just spoken about your writing uh, your painting sorry and i spoke about um the writing did you feel when you were painting now maybe i'm digressing a little bit here but i hope i hope i'm not but when you were painting could you feel yourself getting lighter because it was coming out on paper and therefore you weren't storing it anymore did you see this as an outlet for you definitely event and i think it was probably the first time i'd experienced how you know still to feel these emotions to sit with these emotions to embrace these emotions because i've done such a good job of suppressing them down so to allow an outlet albeit in a very angry way mm. um, making sense of it yeah it was definitely a, a definitely event definitely and um i kind of got into horses then as well um so have been part of that community in riding so that kind of exercise um and being with animals you know i was always a big animal lover so would you know calm kind of guess down that calm down calming down that anxious nervous system and yeah definitely and, and you know they say that a lot don't they especially with nature and with animals they mm -hmm. are a good form of calming systems and and building trust because there's so much trust isn't there with pets like you'll often see like what, what's saying like um, a man's best friend is his dog there is that element of trust and to, to use that through animals was a really good way to then start to rely on someone and to feel love and receive love because you get love back from from pets and to, to build it in in that respect so you, know, you obviously had intuitively had this drive within you because knowing what i know now about the work that you do and everything like that 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 there was you had that strength to to make that turn and you were willing to just try little things just to see where that kind of went with you um was that influenced by yourself or by your foster parents i think it was gently guided by the social workers and the foster parents you know they all knew what they were doing but i probably wasn't the sort you could tell yeah. so, and they had to kind of like plant seeds you know as this fierce independent messed up like bomb basically that deposited with them so yeah there was a lot of gentle sort of coaxing around and planting the seeds really yeah and, and again you know that is the magical thing isn't it because the minute that we are ever forced into to doing something especially when we perhaps are defensive because we're protective of ourselves in the way that you were there's resistance that builds but when people take the time to nurture and and to subtly show ways it opens up ideas to, to you to then explore what that that looks like definitely and being treated as a person you know actually having what i was saying was being heard and understood and valued yeah i don't think i'd experienced that before yeah um you touched on the fact that that you didn't you cut contact with your your dad um and you've met your husband and you were starting to build a life for yourself obviously you fell pregnant because he passed away when you your, your was it your son yeah he died yeah unfortunately he passed away three days after my son yeah. was born so he didn't get the opportunity to meet him were you at peace with your dad when he passed away yeah 
what work did you do to get there? Because that is huge. Um, if you wouldn't mind just sharing how you got from cutting him out to having that piece, obviously in that time as well, meeting the love of your life, securing that relationship enough to trust him to be the father of your, your children, which is something you didn't want, to then obviously when he passed away, know that you had that peaceful relationship between one another. Yeah, he's obviously being much older, his health deteriorated. Um, so we tried to help him with carers and uh, he was a, a strong man and would just sort of shut the door on their face and say, you know, get back to his bottle of whiskey. And he was happy, um, happy as far as, uh, you know, he was really. Um, I mentioned that we saw this Saving Private Ryan and my brain and my cogs were kind of whirring and I had this sudden realisation of why he was the way that he was. And at that point, I think it's um, developing a depth of understanding and trying to see it from his perspective of his world. Yeah. Um, and that really helped me kind of unravel and untangle. And I felt then I really need, knew what I needed to do. So I went up to see him and I was quite shocked at um, how old he was looking, really, how old and... Um, yeah, age is caught up with him. And obviously with the heavy drinking, he, it was showing. It was really, really showing. So, and forgiveness. I couldn't, I didn't have the capacity anymore to carry around all this hatred. And um, it was part of, a, you know, that victim mentality um, of, you know, why me, poor me? Why did they do this to me? To be able to flip that and say, okay, I get it, you know, he, all he was doing was what he knew, all he was doing was what skills he had available to him and the resources he had available to him. He ended up being a single parent um, of me, you know, with, with no boundaries, a teenage girl, he did what he thought was best at the time, albeit, you know, not right or wrong, um, and life kind of took its, you know, life took its directions as and when it did. And I think of my, you know, when I think of my dad now, it's real a big depth of understanding and, you know, going through that process of forgiving him, created space to be able to have the empathy and for me to be able to be there and to be able to nurse him, you know, up until I was obviously in, in hospital with my son. Um, and knowing that he passed and that we had you know, as good a relationship as, as it could have been. Mm. That, I mean, that forgiveness piece is, is huge. And it's something that um, I work on to this day, personally, myself. Um, but it's the, it's the one thing that is really misunderstood. And um, I don't know what your thoughts are, but I certainly resisted it massively. And whenever I speak to clients that I work with there is huge resistance around this forgiveness because they 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 don't they hold on to something and they don't want to forgive that person but the the truth is as you've you know brilliantly said there it allowed you to create space to bring in empathy and understanding and that is really what the forgiveness piece is it's to let go of the negative connection and emotions that are attached to it 
and to no longer allow that to control you in that present moment and moving forward. It's not saying what they did was right. Exactly. Um, no, not at all. Oh, no, and I've worked with lots of you know, my abusers and you know, my parents that have done me wrong. I will never just be able to ever justify what they did do. No. That was completely out of you know, order and wrong. But it's, I've got choice. I either make, you know, deal with it, otherwise it's going to eat me up. Mm. And it turns into that sort of toxic, negative energy. Um, and I, I was like that for a while and chose unhealthy coping mechanisms to help me deal with that. Or I sit with it. And quite often you don't want to sit with what feels and hurts the most. Yeah. Um, yeah. But when you do do, it disperses it. Like otherwise it just builds and builds, festers and festers, get bigger and bigger and ends up in this big toxic mass, really. Yeah. And makes it manifests in so many different ways physically mentally in your life you know it screws your whole life up if you let it so totally because you know there is that association of having to forgive other people and that resistance that comes with it um and i think you've explained it beautifully that that it is about the situation not about them no one ever is ever going to tell anybody that what someone did that hurt that person is right or okay because it's absolutely one million percent not um but it's having that control back of your life to say do you know what that happened but i'm not letting it define who i am from from this moment on and for any longer than it has already and so i'm choosing to forgive and to let go to bring in new things because you know it does like um from conversations me and you have had about the impact that those emotions had on your, you the conversations we've had about the impact it had on me and from seeing it through both you know the clients that we both work with it can cause so many it can filter into so many other different areas of your life that aren't necessarily totally obvious from an outsider looking in um, and can impact your views on, on money, on success, on relationships, which would perhaps be seen as the obvious one when it comes to, you know, sexual and physical abuse, but it can filter into, you know, lots of other things that you just logically wouldn't necessarily think about. And so by creating that space, you, you let, you let go of that, that just horrible, horrible consuming, energy and replace it with choice definitely and that's yeah. also what it is isn't it it's that freedom of choice um and then knowing what to do with it so when you had that freedom of choice which again was new and something you weren't familiar with a bit like when you were at the foster um family how did that then transfer into your relationship with your husband for example as well as your dad because suddenly it opens your eyes to something else, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you're constantly learning and evolving. And once you kind of get one little thing sus, it brings on something else, another level, another devil. So yeah, completely. And I think you hit the nail on the head. It's choice. Um, I chose not to let my past define me and to step out of that victim mindset and use it as a platform to stand on top of it and then to be awareness. It's like, it doesn't, you don't have to feel like this forever what other people do to you does not define you. Yeah. You, the only person that defines you is you. 
yeah. and I can remember working with a coach um, I've worked with various coaches uh, that have helped me along the way and, and one coach explained to me that what we say about ourselves is a story mm. and I was outraged absolutely outraged I was like no what I've been through I feel this this is my emotion this is my life and it took me a while to get my head around that and once you do realize it is a story it's only what you believe it is it then yeah once you realize it is just a story and you have the control of it there's an element of empowerment it's like okay you know I don't have to carry this crap around with me. I've got a choice whether I let it fester in my life or whether I let it go. And then it's then working with coaches to work out how do I let this go? You know, it isn't a pleasant, yeah, it's not a pleasant process, but it frees you up and you know, ultimately you could be more fulfilled, more happy, step through life in a more empowered mindset. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It, you know, it's, it's so true. And it is then understanding what that, that looks like. But it's that control piece, isn't it? Taking the control back. And I think there's so many people out there that, one, feel that they're not in control of their relationship, their happiness, their success. Or they think they are, but they're still being controlled by their past because they're refusing to forgive. Or, um, I've lost my train of thought. Um, or uh, so the control and then also like the freedom of that's it the, the freedom that you have more than one choice and this is something that I hear so many people say but I, I made that choice so I have to live with it I've made that bed I've got to line it you know I bake the cake I've got to eat it whatever it may be the truth is we can take control back no one as you very rightly said no one controls your life other than yourself there are elements that can influence and and knock you off track and challenge you, but ultimately you have that, that um, control that you can take back. Equally, you have that freedom of choice. And so if you've made that choice, you don't have to live with it. You can choose to choose again. And sometimes in that moment, we forget that and we think, do you know what? I've made that choice. I've, this is who I am. No, choose again. And if that doesn't feel right, choose again and keep choosing until it feels right for you. And when you realize that, it opens up everything. You're like, whoa, like suddenly I'm not living in this box of just limited boundaries and beliefs and, and um, thoughts. I have that freedom and that control to take my choices and put them in any direction in which I want to go. And if I don't like it, I can choose to do it again. And if I don't like that, I can continue to choose because I'm free to choose. Um, and it is liberating, totally liberating. Um, but it takes a while to get to that, that place. Um, it's not an overnight um, solution. It's a journey, a story, like you say. But when you understand that, that your life is that story um, and we can't change, you know, elements of the story of the first few chapters, but we can certainly rewrite the remaining chapters and make the ending as, you know, successful and as happy and as abundant as we wish to once we take that control and that choice in our own hands and, and run with it. Um, so I think, you know, what you've just said is totally powerful. I want to just, if you don't mind, just come back to um, another Another thing that you just mentioned very, very briefly, you spoke about 
turning points um, with your dad, with the forgiveness piece um, and the impact that that then had on your future relationships. You also mentioned, and I am pulling back slightly, but I think it's a really important piece to, to bring up, is that there were times in your life when you contemplated or attempted suicide because that was the only way that you knew how to deal with things. And that was the way that your mum had dealt with things. And so quite often we react in ways that we know or that we have seen around us. How did you turn, what was the turning point from that suicide mentality, um, if I can say that, to the choices and the control mentality? Yeah, definitely. For me, I felt it was the only way I could stop the pain. I didn't, I felt like I was going to feel like I did forever. I just didn't know there was another way. Um, yeah, so I tried, I guess, having children, really, having the children and having the focus on other, other, and knowing that I didn't want to be the mother that she had been to me and that was part of that was the suicide um and obviously with giving birth to my son three days later my dad died i i was paranoid i was going to get postnatal depression and i used all my resources that had got me through all the crap in my life to go oh, this isn't happening i'm not i'm this isn't happening i'm going forward in life and realizing that we have control over our mindset and it all becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy so then it's it's again it's having those turning points of going i can control this mm. the only person that you know the only person that can control this is me mm. and the turning points have been very reflective in the fact that it's mindset you know it's what we think we bring about so being really careful about what we do think um, and knowing that we've got this skill within us to predict our future <laughs> you know what we yeah exactly this self-fulfilling prophecy it's kind of that we have the power to do this so you know you, you said about your kids there was would I be right in saying that all of a sudden you had more purpose suddenly things became clearer to you and therefore something shifted because quite often when 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 people are feeling low they have no sense of purpose now yours came through through um giving birth to your son not everyone will experience that but it is finding that purpose and finding something right that that makes life worth living and being able to see it even if it is just a tiny little sprinkle of light in in the you know the darkness that is presenting itself in that moment but it's it's holding on to that purpose and using that is that right it's yeah completely and I think that the amount of times I attempted suicide and the ways that I did it quite creative ways one time in particular I decided to drive my car off the end of a cliff um and then it was dark I didn't know what to do the car felt quite stuck as much as me going this is it I don't want to live anymore um nothing was happening so i clambered into the back seat and slept for a bit it became daylight i then got out of my car and my car started moving so um there was times you know and i, I attempted to take 
you know, overdoses and, and still managed to survive. And people, you know, the nurses were saying, I can't believe you're still alive, you know? Yeah. So I kind of got to a point of like, well, I can't even kill myself properly. <laughs> so it's like, there's got to be another way, you know, from feeling so desperate. That was my out. Even my out was blocked, you know, several times. So I was kind of like, right, okay, what do I do now? You know, that I, my only exit is blocked. What do I do? So it was a lot of soul searching and knowing as well that I obviously had more fight in me and I, there was, I was obviously here to do something else. So kind of muddled my way through. And um, now I feel fully aligned to spread my message and to speak about my truth and my experience and my past. Yeah. Um, but in between, I guess, yeah, you know, meeting my husband, um, feeling love, being a partnership. I was like, gosh, this is what it's about. God, actually, somebody wants to be with me. Somebody loves me. Having the love and the nurture from my foster parents. It's like, wow, okay feeling these kind of snapshots and emotions kind of all helped you with the momentum and going forward yeah. and then becoming a mum and I was like oh wow you know um yeah it was just immense for me from me having so much resistance I'm not having children and being so frightened that when I brought this this child into the world that I wouldn't love it I wouldn't know what to do with it so yeah I mean, is there any advice that you that you could give someone right now? Obviously, everyone's situation is different. Um, other than the obvious, to, obviously, to seek support. Like, support is huge. The support that you got with your um, foster family was the initial U-turn for you to, to start to review things. I, I don't know whether there's any advice that you could offer whether it's in this show or outside of it or whatever to, to people that are perhaps feeling the way that you felt reach out i know it's quite a well said you know tried and a successful tried and trusted method mm. um no even when i speak now to people who knew me then they are so surprised because i put my smile on i put my persona on and i kind of functioned in the world and nobody knew how I was really, really feeling inside, the self-hatred, the self-loathe, the fact that I wasn't worthy, nobody would love me. I never shared that with anybody, um, ever. And I wasn't even really brutally honest with myself. Um, I, yeah, I turned to alcohol to kind of suppress all of that as well. So if you are finding your reaching for an unhealthy coping mechanism it's having that brutally honest um, conversation with yourself why am i doing what i'm doing and getting help reaching out um i wouldn't be here today if i wouldn't have seen the counselors the coaches being honest um about how i was really thinking and feeling about myself which took i know it takes so much to do but once you do do it you realize you're not alone in all of this um, and finding vents for your you know what's going on for you either free writing or some exercise which which leads me on to the next question of you know you work a lot with mindset you've mentioned mindset you you're a mindset coach now what are your mindset go-to to tools 
that you use on a regular basis to keep you focused and in alignment with your happiness? I think um, David Hamilton explains it beautifully in his book. I went through a, a long phase of not being enough. And then I went through a phase of I'd had enough there. I was desperately searching another way around. I didn't want to feel so sad, so lethargic, so switched off in life to now where I am. I am enough. I'm more than enough. Um, yeah, so the mantras really are pulling myself out of my stories. It's have I slipped into old default behavior? Is this an old belief? If this is an old story? from all the awareness it's really having those awkward conversations with yourself being brutally honest with yourself and knowing that what you focus on consumes your mind so where is your focus and becoming solution focused it's kind of okay everything's got a positive spin if you look for it so it's having um, an air of gratitude as well i'm so grateful for everything in my life also knowing you know if there's a, a situation that's come up it for me now i love it i love all the challenges i'm like brilliant what can i learn from this this is a, yeah. a perfect opportunity i'll write a post about it it, it for me it, it it fuels quite a lot of um avenues for me but really just where is your focus what you focus on will consume your mind and then that affects your actions and your behaviors knowing it all has a knock-on effect and so going into your thought process, what am I thinking? You know, and being quite blunt with this internal dialogue, if it's not serving me well, it can go. Do you do that through journaling or visualizations or meditations? I do. I get up early in the morning and do my meditation. And then I write down um, my values and my kind of life statement each morning just to keep me kind of aligned and to keep you know it's all practice isn't it so building up a, a practice and starting your day as you mean to kind of carry on um, and a lot of self-discipline really um, I thought discipline was something at school I thought discipline had implications and consequences but actually it's I owe it to myself I know what works for me I owe it to myself to keep myself on track um, and for everybody else around me I'm a better mum I'm a better friend I'm a better coach. Totally, totally. I mean, you know, knowing knowing what to use resource-wise and then having that that discipline, as you say, and making it your goals bigger than the fears or bigger than the, the dark emotions and seeing that there's light at the end of the tunnel it, it is key because when you build that consistency and you show up, as a worthy person who's willing to put themselves first, things start to make shifts, you know, start to make shifts and things start to come in. Um, so it's just knowing what those, <clears throat> those go-tos are for you that then can relate to other people. We've touched briefly on the fact that, that throughout this whole process, you've gone from being that, that victim to, to contemplating suicide, to forgiveness, to now working as a coach to inspire other people what 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 was your motivation behind suddenly becoming a coach and sharing your story i didn't really think anybody would be interested in my story um and i also didn't think i would be a very good coach or counselor um and then i kind of quickly realized that the only person that was holding me back was me 
mm-hmm. and that I needed to do it. So in order to do it, um, I was working with a coach at the time and she helped me identify, we did the six human needs. Yeah. And, um, she helped me identify that growth was really, really lacking, which came at a brilliant time because the children were getting a little bit older and I was kind of like, oh, they don't need me. Now what? And we'd, we have other businesses. Again, they were all kind of just kind of running. Everything was just kind of really good, really comfortable. But I was like, I really feel I want, there's more in me. I, but I'm not quite sure how to, to, to put it into action. So again, it's um, with the coach. Um, I wanted to do a counselling course two years before then, but talk myself out of it because I just didn't have the confidence and I wasn't in the right headspace. Um, but I'd had a little bit more to do with coaching um, and the counselling I found, I kind of went over old ground and I knew it inside and out, but I needed a way to go forward to really embrace who I felt I wanted to be. So, and then with the coaching, I was like, that's it that's it that's what I want that's how I can really help people you know and just sort of develop this passion for it and personal development along my journey kind of gaining qualifications um and learning so much about myself and suddenly all people have always come to me for help advice and support I'm a natural cheerleader and and I was like gosh this is this is it so and for a very long time I was gaining the qualifications but didn't have the confidence and the self-belief to put it into practice and then um one week and then yeah a friend sort of said to me what are you waiting for and yeah. I was like I need to be perfect I need to be perfect at it before I can do anything and she was like where's the best place to start how are you gonna get better how are you gonna start and she's like you're good in, you know you're good enough and it comes back to the I am enough I yeah. don't have to be perfect at this you know I am enough as I am and I will learn and evolve and grow so yeah, I just kind of one weekend, I was like, right, I'm going to launch it. I'm going to launch it and did and boom, it just, yeah, took off and I just keep pinching myself really. I'm the luckiest woman in the world and I love my job so much. And You know, it's so true because so many of us wait for that perfect time and perfection doesn't exist. What is the perfect time? There is no such, such thing. And I think it is just getting out there and, and just putting one step in front of the other and doing that on a regular basis, even if it's one step, making sure you make that step every day. And then you, before you know it, you're building that momentum and just seeing what's out there and, and reframing that everything that you are going to experience will give you information and feedback to help you to evolve. And I think it's that evolving piece that is massive Throughout this whole um, interview, we have spoken about how you have evolved as a person um, from this you know, young girl who was witness to abuse and on the receiving end of this abuse in a world of pain, both physically and emotionally, to transitioning and evolving into a young adult, into a mother, into forgiving those around you that cause that pain to now being a coach it shows that there is no one fix for everything it is to be open and flexible and to constantly evolve and evolve in the right direction because we can equally evolve in the wrong direction of self-pity victim mentality and go down that route or we have that choice of evolving and knowing that that perfect doesn't exist um, 
there is no other person other than yourself. And if you continuously learn and understand from your experiences, then you can evolve and take that information to then choose to use it how you want to, whether it's negative or positive. Um, and just be on that cycle. And when you recognize it is that evolving cycle, then that resistance disappears somewhat and you suddenly think, right, I'm here for the ride now. So I'm either going to choose to evolve with grace and ease or evolve with resistance and blocks and challenges. Um, and I'm going to learn everything along the way and I'm going to absorb it and I'm going to be self-aware and I'm going to understand and I'm going to see what comes of it all. And then it starts to flow. And I think it's really important for us all to remember that. And, and this, you know, your story is a prime example of that, you know, that evolution of you as a person. You know, to sit here today looking at you, you're a strong, amazing person who has beautiful family, a loving husband, a great business. You've made peace. So you're not carrying around the weight of the world on your shoulders, but you fully accept that you're never fully fixed. None of us are ever fully fixed. And there will be things that crop up every now and again, but it's okay. And, and that is amazing. And I hope, you know, that that has come through in this um, interview, that if anyone is feeling in any way helpless or, um, can't see the wood through the trees that there is always light at the end of the tunnel there's always help if you seek help if you take the time to understand yourself and to learn from mistakes and to never give up to remember that there is always choice and if you do not like where you are right now make that choice to make a difference and to to choose to get help and to choose to um be worthy and be enough and to choose to let go of that punishment that you're carrying around of yourself, then things shift and they shift pretty quick when you make those, those certain choices, don't they? Yeah, definitely. And I'm so grateful for everything that happened in my life. I mean, absolutely everything because it's made me who I am today. Yes. Yeah. And me and you both uh, come from that in the same thoughts. Everything happens for a reason. Um, it's that choice of what you do in that moment that, that then kind of defines you, but totally, it's been amazing talking to you. Um, as I quite often say, there's so much more that I would have loved to have asked, um, about it, but, but I feel that the rawness, the, the flow in which this interview's gone, hopefully will give people an insight into what to do when they are faced with dark times, not just in abuse. Um, but in times that really challenge and to, to see that, that you don't have to take everything on yourself and that, that you can move forward. I just want to finish obviously by, by saying thank you, but also to ask what your mindset mantra is. You've spoken about a few, um, but is there any one that you use when you, you really are feeling perhaps vulnerable or slipping slightly that will then guarantee to give you a kick up the bum or put a smile on your face. Definitely. I think the one I'm working with at the moment is your uniqueness is your magic because there's 7.5 billion people in this world. Yeah. There's only one of you. So in times like that, there is no right. There is no wrong. 
It is just you. What would you do? What makes you unique? I like that a lot. Very true. And, and that is the thing is that we forget. We so, so forget. Like you were talking about how you were stalling on whether to go or push live on the button to, to get your business out there. We forget sometimes that we are unique and therefore who are we comparing ourselves to? There isn't anyone because no one has walked in our shoes or experienced our life. And that is our unique selling point. That is what sets us apart from everybody else that no one can ever, ever take from us. So I love that you've brought that. That's, I like that. I'm going to make a note of that myself. Um, Polly, it has been amazing. Um, if there is anyone that is listening that wants to reach out to Polly, um, then I have all of her contact details that will go on the show notes. Um, but Polly, if you want to just share where people can find you, if there's any advice that she can give, she's, you know, you're more than happy, I'm assuming, to, you know, to help with people. Um, if, if you're feeling it, then, then reach out to her or to someone that you know um, and, and just never give up. So, Polly, what are your, your last thoughts on this? Yeah, definitely. No, thank you very much for this opportunity to speak. And to, you know, I know we have a very similar message as well to be able to voice this. Um, I've got a Facebook page, which is Polly Dukes Mind and Body Coaching. I'm, I am on Instagram and yeah, reach out, you know, you're not alone. And my mission is that you, I don't ever want anyone to feel the way that I did. And I want to be the, the light in people's darkness to say, you know, I look, I look at everything that I've been through and I hope to inspire you to find a way to be empowered find a way to to get gain back control of your life brilliant it's been great thank you polly i really appreciate um your honesty um i appreciate you coming on today because i know sometimes these um subjects aren't easy to talk about i love that we both have a, a very similar mission of um breaking this silence and reducing the stigma stigmas that are attached to it wish you all the luck in the world and thank you very much for being a part of the show no thank you Thank you. Bye for now. That's all for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this show, please head over to iTunes, subscribe and leave a review. Bye for now. Bye.